Welcome to Finish Well Radio, where changing the world starts with changing the home, with your host, Meredith Curtis. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Finish Well Radio. I'm so, so excited that you're here. We are going to talk about the Pilgrims and the Puritans today, and I don't know about you, but I love Thanksgiving, and I have this beautiful Thanksgiving tablecloth that I made for my mom years ago. Out of the same material, I made a set of matching napkins for myself, and now they all are part of our Thanksgiving tradition. And so we set the table and we put out the little pilgrim salt and pepper shakers and put a little cornucopia in the middle and fill it with whatever we want to, nuts or pine cones or gourds or fruits and vegetables. And so it's really fun to decorate for Thanksgiving. And of course, the food. I mean, the food is just amazing. And even though I do feel like I spend <laughs> the entire day cooking or washing dishes with a sliver in between of eating, I love the relaxing part of it. I love the football games on after. I love the kids playing. And it's just such a delight to spend Thanksgiving with my family. And so as Thanksgiving approaches, I love the idea of giving thanks, of being thankful, of focusing on the bright side, the positive, and all of that. It just makes Thanksgiving and even really the whole month of November a great month for me. Today, I wanted to talk about the Puritans and the Pilgrims, number one, because people get them confused. They'll talk about the Pilgrims and then they'll say, oh yeah, the Puritans, and they'll kind of intermix them, but they really were two different groups of people, and although they got along very well, but I wanted to talk to you about them today because they really influenced American history, our American heritage, our Christian heritage in America, and of course, the Pilgrims gave us Thanksgiving. So today, we are going to spend some time. We're going to learn about the Pilgrims and maybe some things she didn't know. And then we're going to learn about the Puritans and maybe some things she didn't know. So let's get started. And the Pilgrims were what's called separatists. And you can remember that by thinking of the word separate. The Pilgrims wanted to separate from the Church of England. You see, back then, if you lived in England, you had to be a member of the Church of England. And if you weren't, it was off with your head. No, I'm not, not necessarily off with your head, but definitely you would be fined. You would lose your property. And it just was considered, whoa, why are you so stupid? Why aren't you a part of the Church of England? And so people had to be part of the Church of England. And the Puritans were in there. They were trying to purify it. But the pilgrims said, no way, we are going to separate, and they were separatists. So separate, separatists, purify, Puritans, and those are the two groups. And we'll talk about the pilgrims first. So basically, they were a group of people who, they just looked at the Church of England, and they said, this is way too corrupt for us. We are out of here. We want to worship God. We want to do what the Bible says, and we don't see this being a place where we can obey the word of God because the word of God says this. They believed in congregational style of government. 
where the congregation votes on what they want to do. And here in the Anglican Church or Church of England, they had bishops and pastors and all of those people in authority were appointed. They didn't like it, but it wasn't, oh, I just want to do my own thing my own way. The pilgrims really wanted to obey God. And as they read the scriptures, they came up with what they thought was the way that it would honor Christ to lead their churches, to actually worship during the service. And let me tell you about their church services. We have a long church service. Our church service is two hours. And when people come from like a little 45-minute service, they go, oh, my goodness, your church service is so long. But we feel like if we go to a 45-minute service, well, we've hardly been to church, you know. But anyway, these services were super long. So they would have one guy preach like an hour sermon, and then another guy would get up and preach another hour sermon. So it was a real like a full day event. And uh, they were very serious about the Word of God, and they loved to hear the Word of God. They loved to study it. And most of all, they loved to obey it. And they lived very upright, godly lives. And they were filled with a lot of love for one another. In fact, the pilgrims that came over on the Mayflower were a local church. Did you know that? Isn't that exciting? I mean, can you imagine your local church? Maybe you're a part of like the First Baptist Church of Toledo or something like that. And your local church says, hey... We're not able to worship God the way he's calling us to. Why don't we pack up and move to the new world? I don't know about you, but (laughs) I mean, I just can't even imagine. But that's how close they were as a local church. So I just think find that pretty amazing. So anyway, speaking of local churches, because they didn't uh, belong to the Church of England, they met in Scrooby Manor. Now, Scrooby Manor was owned by William Brewster. He had inherited it when his dad died. And it was a big, beautiful house, and there's plenty of room to have church. And he opened his home. And in William Brewster's little church, the pastor was John Robinson. And one of the young men who um, started coming to the church was named William Bradford. And he would go on to, of course, write Plymouth Plantation and be governor of Plymouth in the New World many, many years. So anyway, but back then, they were in Scrooby. And the king found out that their meeting when they're not supposed to, they're supposed to be going to the Anglican church. So the king sent men after them. So the men hid out in Sherwood Forest. And yes, that's right. It's the Sherwood Forest of Robin Hood fame. You know, you read about Robin Hood and his merry men, and they were hiding out in Sherwood Forest. Well, this is the exact same thing, only they're hiding out so they don't get put in jail or fined because then they can't support their family and they are being chased down because of not because they're outlaws but well in essence England sees them as outlaws because they are worshiping as separatists rather than in the Church of England so anyway this is going on for a while some of them were put in jail some of them lost their property But all of them thought, this is crazy. And over in Holland, there was kind of a golden age going on. Holland is a story in itself. Uh, In Holland, they were enjoying pretty consistent religious freedom in that window of time. And so the pilgrims said, what if we go to Holland 
And their pastor said, yeah, that's a great idea. And all the elders in the church said, yeah, that's a great idea. And all the people said, yeah, that's a great idea, because, of course, they were congregational, so they all had to agree. So they all decided to move to Holland. So this whole local church packs up, and they move to Holland, and they settled in Amsterdam. Now, Amsterdam is a big, bustling city in Holland, and it was a little rowdy for them, and it was a little hard to find jobs because they didn't speak Dutch. They spoke English. And so the English wasn't like today. It's kind of the universal language wherever you go, someone speaks English. But back then, it wasn't necessarily so. So they were having a hard time. And then they heard about this city called Leiden. And so they decided to move to Leiden. Now, when they moved to Leiden, John Robinson became a professor at the University of Leiden. And when they moved to Leiden, they decided to start a publishing company. And several of them wrote books, especially John Robinson, their pastor, about their beliefs, about what they believed the Bible was teaching, about church government, about daily life, about intimacy with God, salvation through faith. And so they would write all these books. Well, one of the pamphlets was how, you know, King James was so wrong to make everyone adhere um, to the Anglican Church and he needed to give freedom. So you can imagine King James is like up having his morning cup of tea and lo and behold, he finds out about this pamphlet that they're printing over in Leiden and he says... Get me John Robinson. Get me those separatists. I, you know, and so even though it's not in their jurisdiction, they head over to, to Holland and are looking for the separatists. So the separatists are thinking, oh, my goodness, we can't get away from this persecution. What should we do? And so they, of course, have a meeting because, remember, they're congregational. So they decide everything all together and they decide that the Lord is leading them possibly to go to the new world. So they send John Alden over to England and he begins to negotiate with royal authorities to be able to leave, to go to Plymouth, to be able to live in some freedom. Honestly, just to have some good, safe distance between them and the king to worship according to their conscience. They weren't disloyal to the king. They were more loyal to the Lord and what they felt that the Bible was teaching. So anyway, they head out and they get to England and there's a big story like they're, the ship they're in is leaking and, you know, they, they got ripped off. And, and one of the things you need to know is they did not have money. Like when I talk about the Puritans who came over to Massachusetts Bay Colony, they had some money. But these people, they basically sold themselves into slavery for uh, seven years or until they paid back. So they said, we'll work for you for seven years and we'll work hard and we'll send you all our profits if you will just pay our way over. So, you know, I, that, that was pretty, pretty scary. And whether that's right or right, not, I don't know, you know, um, was that going into debt? I don't know. That's something, you know, to think about. But the bottom line is they just wanted to worship God according to their conscience. They wanted to get to the new world. So finally, Instead of two ships, it's one ship. Now, half of their people stayed back in Holland or the Netherlands, and they stayed back there, and the other half went to the New World. But over time, a lot of the congregation that was still in Holland 
began to travel over and join them in the new world. So John Robinson did not ever make it. I'm sorry to say, but he was such a devoted pastor. And when they got to the new world, things were really, really hard because they arrived just at the time of winter and it was cold. They had to build little homes and they caught diseases right away and got very sick. And I'm sorry to tell you that many of them died. And so that was really, really sad. One of the things that I had forgotten to tell you is that you know all about Jamestown and you know that Captain John Smith, who was part of Jamestown, he wrote a book called A Description of Virginia. And the pilgrims actually read that book. And that was one of the reasons they had thought about the new world. I just think that's kind of cool, you know. So books change the world. They really do. And they give people ideas and like, oh, hey, we'll move to a new place. But anyway, once they got to the new world, before they got off the ship, they decided, okay, we're in a brand new place. We're not in Virginia where there's already things established and settled. You know, we're basically making new ground here. So what they did is they decided to sign an agreement or it's called the Mayflower Compact. And they decided that they would elect officials to make decisions for the entire community. And they did that. They all signed it. All the men on board signed it. And not, not everyone on board was a separatist, but everyone on board was willing to go with the separatists. And it, it was actually the colony was led by a separatist. Each each election, they elected a separatist. They signed that, and that was really significant, and it had a huge impact on our Constitution. First of all, the Connecticut Constitution, the North Carolina one, uh, the Declaration of Independence, and then the federal, our United States Constitution, because it was the first document signed in the New World that talked about electing representative government. And so that is a huge heritage from the pilgrims to us today. So anyway, they get off the boat, they're building, they're starting their new life, and things are really going bad. Basically, most of them are dying from sickness. And so one day in the spring, of course, after that horrible winter where they lost so many people, the spring arrived, it was beautiful and full of promise. And God brought them to Native Americans, and the first one was Somerset, and he just walked into Plymouth one day stark naked, and the pilgrims were like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, put some clothes on this guy. But as they began to talk to them, you know, of course, they gave him gifts, they interacted, and then he brought another friend with them called Squanto. Now, Squanto was actually a believer in Jesus, and he has the coolest story, and Squanto was kidnapped by European fishermen who would come to fish off the coast of the New World, and he was taken back to Europe, and he was sold as a slave. An English pastor purchased him and shared the gospel with him, taught him English, set him free, and actually paid for his passage to go back to the New World. So he comes back to the New World, and all his people are gone. And they've all died out from sickness. And so now here he is and he's there with really no tribe left. So he's, you know, of course, interacting with the other Native American tribes and stuff. But really, he was a man without a people. 
because all of his people had died out. So he ended up becoming a really good friend to the pilgrims. He shared their faith. He had experienced the cruelty of the Europeans, but also the kindness of a Christian. And so he taught them how to plant in the new world with the little corn seeds and the fish and all that. And he was really a blessing to them. And he also helped them negotiate a peace treaty with the big Native American chief in the area. So they kept peace completely for 50 years. And that is so significant. The pilgrims were able to rally from that. And about this time, after the spring they had planted, they had harvested a good crop. They were so grateful. And they said, we are so grateful to the Lord. So what do you do when you're grateful to the Lord? You throw a big party. And they had church services and feasting. And they had foot races. And they played all kinds of games. And it lasted several days. And that was the very first Thanksgiving that we've kind of modeled our Thanksgiving after. And I think it's super cool because they invited the Native Americans and the Native Americans went hunting and brought deers and wild turkeys. And anyway, it was just a delicious feast. And one of the things that is so fun to do is to think about foods that the Europeans had never heard of before, like turkey and corn and things like that, that are just staples in our American diet. So that was the first Thanksgiving feast. I love telling that story to my children and now my grandchildren. And when they were little, we found this book, Pilgrim Stories by Margaret Humphreys. And I think Scholastic has republished it. It's a very old book. It's actually in the public domain, but it's been republished so many times. I've never been able to just find it like as an ebook. It's a great read aloud. If you're wanting your kids to learn the whole pilgrim story, that's a really neat one to, to read aloud with your kids. Also for older, like high school, if you're listening and you're in high school, uh, Plymouth Plantation is a great book. If you really want a look at the true story and the behind the scenes, it's written by William Bradford. And William Bradford came over as a young man and served as governor many, many terms and was kind of in the know for a really long time of what was truly going on in Plymouth. So those are some great resources to learn more about the pilgrims. And what I want to do right now is take a break and then we'll come back and we will talk about the Puritans, an even bigger, bigger group in New England, and they have totally, totally um, impacted us. So we'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. History shouldn't be boring. Meredith and Laura have some exciting new e-books to bring the fun and excitement back into history. Studying the Middle Ages? Get Let's Have Our Own Medieval Banquet and Cook Up Some Fun. Studying ancient history? How about making some recipes from the Ancient History Cookbook? Or get some creative ideas from Let's Have Our Own Olympic Games or Let's Have Our Own Archaeological Dig. These books are available at Amazon.com. The ebooks are available at PowerlineProd.com. Powerline Productions exists to serve you. We want to equip you to be joyful and successful in your homeschooling adventure. Powerline Productions. Being world changers, raising world changers.
You've been listening to Finish Well Radio on the Ultimate Radio Network. Now back to your host, Meredith Curtis. Hi, welcome back. We have been talking about the pilgrims, and now we're talking about the Puritans. Now, like I said before, so many people, they get the pilgrims and the Puritans confused. So when you're thinking about the Puritans, you think about the word purify, purify Puritans. They were members of the Church of England, and they were trying to purify the Church of England. And then you have the pilgrims, and the pilgrims were separatists. And they were separated from the Church of England. The uh, separatists tended to be more congregational. They believed in electing leaders, but also they believed on coming together and making decisions as a group. So the congregation would get together and decide things. Now, the Puritans had some of them were congregational. Some of them had more of a Presbyterian mindset of government. And a Presbyterian mindset would be you elect your leaders, and then they lead you and they kind of make the decisions as at the helm. Um, So that's pretty much what ended up happening in America. You have the people who, you know, more of the Republican form of government where you elect your leaders and they make the decisions. And then you have people who believe more in a democracy where there's more decision making among all the people. So that's you can still see that today. There's that balance where some people lean more toward a democracy. Some people lean more toward a republic. But all of that has its roots in church government, which I think is very, very interesting. So anyway, let me get back to the pilgrims. So there was this wealthy Puritan lawyer who lived in England, and his name was John Winthrop. And he wanted to move to the New World. He wanted more freedom. He was working very hard in the Anglican Church to bring more purity, to bring them closer to what the Word of God taught about different things. And he really loved the Lord. And he decided, I would like to go to the New World, but I don't want to go with a company like both the the pilgrims and also the settlers in Jamestown. It was a company that oversaw that settlement. So they were basically there from a company trying to make money. Now he didn't want the government overseeing them anyway. So he thought, okay, what can I do? Well, what if we go with a company overseeing us, but Instead of the company's stockholders being back in England, what if we all, all the people who are going, we buy up all the stock of a company so that all the stockholders, all the owners of the company are actually over in the new world? That was, wow, that was a brand new idea. It had not been done before. It would give them a lot of freedom and a lot of autonomy. And that's something very significant about what became the Massachusetts Bay Colony, eventually the city of Boston, was that it would be the first time that the leaders overseeing the colony would all be in the colony. So as you can imagine, the people who came to Massachusetts were not poor. They, Massachusetts Bay Colony, they were not poor. The the Plymouth people did not have a lot of stuff, but the 
the Puritans had to buy the stock in this company. And so they did that. And there was one very wealthy noblewoman. Her name was Lady Arabella. And she actually gave a lot of her wealth to make this trip over. And she came with her husband. And Lady Arabella, of course, was a very refined lady. She went into the harsh wilderness of the New World. And she ended up passing away very soon. But when you read about the Massachusetts Bay Colony, the flagship was Arabella, and that was named after Lady Arabella. Later, years later, a Puritan named Cotton Mather writes about her and her life, very, very interesting, and what she was willing to give up for religious freedom. And that's what they were really wanting, is they were wanting religious freedom. So anyway, John Winthrop puts together a board of trustees for this company and they move to the new world and they're in charge of themselves. And that, like I said, the brand new, very profound. And before they boarded the ships in England, Puritan pastor John Cotton preached to them and his sermon was called God's promise to his plantation. And that would be a really, really cool sermon to listen to because in that sermon, John Cotton lays out the promises of God. God is gracefully giving them the opportunity to go to the new world. But it's not for themselves. It's for his glory. It's for his purposes. So they can be a city on a hill and that they can shine the light of the gospel. And in that sermon, he quotes from this passage that says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be be made salty again. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And that's from Matthew five thirteen through 16. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so he reminds them, when you go there, there are Native Americans there, and they have never heard the gospel. We know that Squanto did, but the others did not. And so there's so much exciting things that happen in those early years as the Puritans took very seriously the call to share the gospel with Native Americans. And there's a man named John Elliott, who was a Puritan. And he's called the Apostle to the Indians. And basically, he just gave up his life. And he had a long one. He gave up his life for the Native Americans to preach to them, to love on them. He had some of them live with him in his home. Just a really, really good man. And so that was that was really an exciting thing to see how they ministered to the Native Americans. So anyway, what did they believe? Now, even after the Puritans got to England, what happened is the war in the Anglican Church between the Puritans and those who wanted things to stay more traditional, it kind of erupted into more than just what you believe about how to serve God. It actually affected all parts of their life. So the Puritans believed that God was the Lord of the country now the the others did too but they really didn't take god so seriously they really didn't take the word of god so seriously 
And yet the Puritans were saying over in England, we want our nation to be holy. We want the church to be holy. We want to get rid of all this smut and garbage. And so there was just this escalation. It affected how they viewed politics. And the Puritans over in England and in America, they wanted a republic. They wanted a government where people elected their leaders and there wasn't a king anymore. And not all Puritans wanted that, but that was what was going on in England. They ended up having a civil war in England and they actually didn't have a king for a short season. And Oliver Cromwell became the Lord Protectorate or like a president over in England. I don't know if you know that, that England went through a time when they did not have a king and the king was actually beheaded, if you can imagine. And so all of this was going over in England. Well, while this civil war was beginning to brew, it hadn't started yet, but things were beginning to brew. A lot of Puritans fled to New England. Then you have the Civil War and the Puritans get in control in England and the Parliament is actually running the nation. Well, after that, when the Puritans are in control, you have a lot of the Anglican, the high church people, they flee to Virginia. So that's kind of interesting. Then after the king comes back, you have a lot of Puritans again fleeing to New England. And so it's kind of interesting. So the Puritans kind of headed to New England. The high church people or Anglicans would head to Virginia. That's not 100%, but the vast majority of them actually did that. So anyway, what you have is over in England, in the middle of all the Puritans being in control, they called on all the English pastors to come together and to arrive at an agreement on what they believed about their faith and their doctrine. And that would be the beliefs of the Anglican church. And this is called the Westminster confession. And it actually was only the standard for the church of England for a few years, but now it's a very big deal in the Scottish Presbyterian church and in really in Presbyterian churches all around the world. So this was a really important document in Christendom. And if you ever want to read the Westminster Confession, that would give you an idea of what the Puritans in New England believed. But there was a vast difference in beliefs. Not all of them would adhere totally to that. Some, I said before, were Congregationalists, and they elected their leaders. But the main thing is that the Puritans wanted purity. They believed that the Word of God was the standard, and we had to adhere to the Word of God. And the separatists, remember, we talked about the pilgrims. They believed that too, but they were willing to just separate and do it. The Puritans stayed in the fray, and they worked hard to bring change into the Anglican church. So interesting how much church and the Bible and Christianity had to do with people coming to the new world. And that's what I think is so interesting. Now, the Puritans, you just have so many people who want to mock them and make fun of them. And I have to ask myself why, because when I read about their life and read their writings, a lot of them were very, very loving, very, very good people, moral people, serious followers of Jesus. The thing is, we live in a time when people don't like 
serious followers of Jesus, people don't like holiness. They don't like getting rid of sin. We just live in a culture, even some Christians don't like that. And so, of course, Puritans are going to get a bad name. But I would just encourage you, as you look through the pages of history, and you get to know these men like John Eliot and John Winthrop and um, even Puritans back in England like Daniel Defoe and John Milton and Oliver Cromwell and these pastors like the Mather family, John Cotton and Increase Mather and Cotton Mather, just some really neat, neat men of the faith. And they brought so much truth and wisdom into the early years of laying the foundation of our nation. And their ideas continue forth. Ronald Reagan, when he was president, actually was quoting that verse that I read you earlier about being a city on a hill And he referred to John Winthrop's first sermon when he came to the New World. I am so grateful for their influence. And as I look back at them, what I love about them is that they did not want to follow their own ways. They didn't say, oh, we want to follow our heart. Oh, we want to do whatever we want to do. We want freedom to be rebellious. They wanted freedom to be obedient. They wanted freedom to honor Christ. And they were zealous for God's ways. If you look at some of their laws, you can think, oh, my goodness, they were so legalistic. But if they would look at some of our laws, they would wonder what on earth has happened to the Christians? Why aren't they setting the temperature in the room? Because, you know, um, we can say, oh, the world is so wicked. We're barely able to hang on. But the truth is. The Christians are like the thermostat. They set the temperature in the room. So the unbelievers will always do what they want to do, but they will set the moral standards. And when the Christians' moral standards become super low, then the world just becomes increasingly and increasingly wicked. And when the church tries to say, oh, okay, well, we'll just try to be a little more like the world, it really brings so much destruction to a culture. So I think the Puritans are a reminder to us to keep the standards high, keep them what the Bible says. The Puritans and the pilgrims were willing to risk their lives like Lady Arabella, who passed away so quickly in the new world. They were willing to risk their money. They were willing to risk their property and their honor to obey the Lord and to find a place of freedom to raise their children so that their children could serve the Lord. They also saw the the Bible as the authority to govern men. So they didn't apologize. They said, God wrote the word of God. He has a say in what we do and how we live. And they, they were unapologetic about that. The Puritans brought us the Puritan work ethic. A lot of Puritans, they did have money like Lady Arabella, but she read the Bible and it said, work hard with all your heart as if working for the Lord and not for men. She came across verses like that and started working hard and other men who maybe were in the nobility and didn't have to work, but they came across verses like that and they began to work really hard and they really helped usher in the industrial revolution because they came with the desire to work hard 
And so they did work hard. They invested their money in factories. They invested their money in shipbuilding. They invested their money in timber. They invested their money in farming. They invested their money in helping others start businesses, like start up a shop or start up a blacksmithing business. And so you saw a lot of prosperity in New England because they just had this desire, okay, we're going to work hard, not because we want to get rich, but because we want to honor the Lord. And finally, they were a city on a hill. America for centuries was known all over the world as a good nation, as a nation where people loved others, as a nation where people were generous and kind. And even today, when there's a crisis around the world, Americans are so generous to give. So, I am grateful for the heritage that we have from the Pilgrims and the Puritans. And I hope by now you can tell the difference between them. And with all of that in mind, I hope that as you celebrate Thanksgiving this year, you'll take a pause and remember them and thank the Lord for their heritage and also say a prayer that we will carry the light to the next generation and be a city on a hill. God bless you. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for listening to Finish Well Radio with Meredith Curtis and the Finish Well team. Please listen in every first Monday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern Time here at the Ultimate Radio Network.